I know you have been sitting on the front pew almost all morning long, Shane, and I appreciate your faithfulness. I'm glad that you were waiting. Hey, I, I want to I wanna try and go back over our song that we've been doing for the last two weeks. Do you remember that song? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. So let's do the words again. Come on, stand up. Don't do the music yet. Remember, how do you say love? How do you show with your hands love? Put your hands across like this. So do like this. Then Lord God. So the big L, Lord God. And then with all your, you point with this middle finger, heart. Then you do this with your finger and do soul, mind. Do your mind strength. Okay. So love the Lord, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Okay. Let's go ahead and sing it now. This is going to be hard for some of us, but that's okay. This is how we learn. Ready? Go for it. Here we go. We're going to sing it with our hands, remember? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Ready? Love again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Ready? Okay, that was it. No, that's cool. That's, that's good. Yeah, let's do it one more time. One more time. One more time. Let's do it one more time. Ready? I love it. Ready? <laughs> love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Ready? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Ah, that's a great song. Good job, guys. Good job. All right. I, I have another thing I want to do with you guys. Now, you guys... You're homeschooled, right? Okay. And you're not homeschooled. So when you are in classroom and the teacher asks a question, what do you have to do before you answer? You got to raise your hand. But when you're home, you don't always have to raise your hand. But what we're going to do this morning, we're not going to raise our hand if we know the answer. And we're not going to just sit there if we know the answer. This is what you're going to do. If you know the answer, I want you to ba like a sheep. Can you do that? Okay. Let's hear you say it. Let's see you do the ba. Bah! Can you do it? Yeah. Let's hear you. Let me hear again. Okay, you do it again. Bah! Okay, you do it. Bah! 
Bah. Okay, so if you know the answer to the question, don't say don't say the answer. Just go bah, and then I'll point to you and tell you to say the answer. Okay, ready? I'm going to ask you some questions. Now, these are real simple. Maybe okay. I'm going to say some some sentences, and you have to guess what person or character said them. Now, see, the people I'm going to be telling you about, some of them are cartoon characters from movies. Some of them are people characters from movies. And then there's one real person that I'm going to quote from. Okay, so the very first one, I'm going to ask you, and you remember, you say, bah, if you think you know the answer. Who said this? To infinity and beyond. Who said it? What does it say? Who did? Who said it? That's right. It was Buzz Lightyear. Because you've seen that movie. So you know that he said that. Yes. Here's another one. This one you might know. I don't know this one. I didn't know it until I read this. Some people are worth melting for. Olaf. You have to say ba. Ba. What is this? Who is it? Olaf. Olaf. Yes. You got it. See, I've never seen that movie, so I don't know. How did you know that it was Olaf? Have you seen that movie before? Over and over. You've watched it hundreds of times. So Olaf says, some people are worth melting for. And you recognized him. Here's another one. Here's another one. Don't, don't show the picture until they do their ba. Ready? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. <laughs> Do you know that one? Miss Tanya, who is that? It's Dory. It's Dory from Finding Nemo. See? Remember Dory? She would just go, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, because she would forget. And she'd always have to remember, remind herself to just keep swimming, because that's what you're supposed to do, because you're a fish. Here's one that you might know. Try this one. Me want cookie. Oh, ba. Ba? What? Um, cookie monster. Cookie monster. Who is it? It is the cookie monster. Good job. Because he loves cookies. He loves cookies. Here's another one. Let's see. This one might be a little bit hard unless you've just recently seen this movie or if you saw the movie 50 years ago. Did you see the movie 50 years ago? I don't think so because you weren't old enough. Uh, Miss Evelyn might have. All right, here we go. This, listen to the words. This is the what do you who, what person in a movie do you think said this? In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Nope. Okay. Hold on. Let me do one more. They then she then she starts singing a song. Just. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Have you ever heard that song before? Nope. See, who is that one? Mary Poppins. You've seen, you've heard of Mary Poppins before. You've never seen it. So if you don't, if you have never heard the words before, you can't guess who said it. Because if you've never heard that they said it, you can't guess. One, yes, sir. Some people are worth melting for. Yeah, I never heard. Well, here's one last one. Now, remember, don't don't raise your hand and don't say it out loud. You have to ba, and then I'll call on you. So remember, say ba. 
Who said this? This is a real person now, not a person from a movie or a comic strip or a cartoon. Who said this? Love each other as I have loved you. Who said that? Jesus. You're right. It was Jesus. Good job. Good job. Well, you know what? Jesus told us that he is our good shepherd. So like sheep, we go, bah. But he said he's a good shepherd. He takes care of us. And that he said we can know his voice. And you know how you can know when he's talking to you? He will always talk to you about things that are in the Bible. He will all, he will never tell you to do anything that's not in the Bible. If you ever feel like somebody that Jesus is telling you to do something that's not in the Bible, don't believe it's Jesus. It's somebody pretending to be Jesus because you can know when Jesus is telling you something because he will always tell you what's in the Bible. All right. Let me pray with you guys. Jesus, bless these kids. Help them, God, to learn to hear your voice. Help them to be able to recognize when it's you talking. And I pray, Father God, that they would grow to be true followers of you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, you guys move back with your teacher now to your classroom, okay? It's a good thing kids aren't here. Because this one's not fun. This sermon is not a fun one. Um, when I was a little boy, I'm the oldest of seven kids. We were reared in uh, a faith that there was a, a priest and everyone went to church, but we never actually read the Bible ourselves. It was just always what was there at the church. We never had family Bible time or prayer time or anything like that. It was just, you go to church on Sunday and then you're done. Well, one week when I was a little boy, Again, I'm the oldest of seven, so I don't remember if I was, if we had five kids at the time or if we had seven kids at the time. I just don't remember. But I remember distinctly what happened. My mom and my dad hired a babysitter, and the babysitter came over and watched us kids while mom and dad went out for a date. And mom and dad went out to see a movie. And they probably went out for dinner before the movie, I don't know. And the movie was a really bad, horrible movie. I would, I would never go to see that movie today. I would never even want to, I didn't even want to look it up to find out the full plot of the movie because it's such a bad movie. And if I say the name of the actress who was major star in that movie, you probably will know the name of the movie if I just simply say her name. Her name was Linda Blair. Does anybody have any idea? Yeah. It's a story about a little girl who was possessed by a demon and a, and a priest had to come and exorcise the demon out. And it's a violent, nasty, vicious, ugly, black, dark movie. And my mom and dad went out and watched that for entertainment. Then came home and my mom hung crucifixes and, and rosaries in every room of our house. She was so scared by the darkness of that movie. And she literally just every cross that we had, she hung on the wall. Every place that she could find a cross, she hung it on the wall to keep the dark and the, the, the vicious ugliness out. Now, I'll tell you towards the end why I had to tell you that story at the beginning. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 4. Now, before we read through 1 Samuel chapter 4, and it's a lengthy passage, it's 22 verses long, and we are going to read all of it because it's important that you hear it. But before we read that, we need to be reminded that earlier in this chapter, earlier in this book, 
there was a prophet who had come to Eli and declared devastation from God over the family of Eli. If you'll recall, he said, because you have allowed your sons to be, they literally called them scoundrels. That they were, uh, they were abusing their privileges as, as priests. They were doing sinful things, even though they were serving as priests in the temple. The, the prophet of God came to Eli and declared death and destruction over his house. Well, 1 Samuel chapter 4 is the story of the, of the resolution of that prophecy, the, the fulfillment of that prophecy. So let's read through 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now, Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer and Philistines camped at Aphek. Now, stop. This has nothing to do with the story we're about to read, but it is something just for you for understanding. The word Ebenezer is a, is a, a phrase that is used in Jewish culture as a place or a standing stone. It's set up as a memorial that God did something powerful here. Okay, that's what the word Ebenezer means. Well, guess what? The place known as Ebenezer was a place that was known as Ebenezer because Samuel, the prophet, raised up an Ebenezer there and said, God has done something significant here. But that happened way after this story. Okay, so what that tells us is that the person who wrote this book wrote it after Samuel had already lived his life and was referring back. So, for example, say this property originally was known as Floyd. What was your mom's name? I'm sorry, not Floyd, Roger and Winifred. So this was Roger and Winifred's place. But before it was Roger and Winifred's place, it was owned by the homesteaders. I don't even know their names. But you'll, if you go out to, to the other parts of the community, you'll, you'll, have, you'll hear, oh, that was Joe's place. Well, Joe hasn't lived there for 20 years. But it was known as Joe's place back 20 years ago, and it's still sometimes called Joe's place, even though it's not particular to that particular spot today. So that's what's happening here, is the writer of First Samuel is saying, this happened at Ebenezer, even though Ebenezer hadn't been named Ebenezer yet in this story. Does it make sense? I'm not trying to, I don't want to confuse you, but I want you to understand if you go back and do any Bible study later on. All right, so there's this fight happening between the Philistines and the Jewish people, the Israelites, and it takes place at uh, Ebenezer where the Philistine, where the Jews, excuse me, where the Israelites were encamped and the Philistines were encamped opposite them at Aphek. The Philistines drew up line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. When the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark. Now, before we do this, let's think about that first sentence. Why has the Lord defeated us? They said, What have we done or what is going on in our world that this bad thing happened that God allowed or God caused. That's what they're saying here. Why did the Lord defeat us today before the Philistines? I know. Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people went to Shiloh and they brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts who is enthroned on the cherubim. Now, if you recall 
in the in the law of Moses, no one can carry the ark unless they are a Levite. So that literally meant that the people of Israel went to the to the tabernacle or to the yeah to the tabernacle, and they said, "You need to bring the the, the the ark of the covenant to us in the battle so that we can have the Lord's protection over us." And so the priests. Hopney and Phineas gathered up some of their servers, the Levites, and they loaded the, the, the Ark of the Covenant up on those rods and they carried it out to this place called Ebenezer. So it says the people went to Shiloh, uh, verse four, verse five, no, verse four. So the people went to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hopney and Phineas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Verse five. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. Hurrah! God has arrived! When the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, what does this great shouting mean in the Hebrews' camp? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were scared, were afraid. They said, a God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us! For nothing like this has ever happened before. Woe to us! Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So do you hear what's happening here? The Philistines know who God is by reputation. They know what happened to the Egyptians. When the Israelites came out from under the Pharaoh's rule, they know about the 10 plagues that God through Moses inflicted on the nation and how God rescued and plundered literally the Egyptians. So the Philistines are going, oh my word, we are in so much trouble because the same gods that they had fighting against Egypt is now here to fight against us. Be stalwart guys. Link arms and let's fight this battle to the death. Don't let us become like the Egyptians. I mean, it's literally, that's what's going on there. Verse 10. So the Philistines fought. And Israel was defeated. And they fled. Every Hebrew man to his home. And there was a great slaughter. 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. And the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hopni and Phinehas, both died on the battlefield. A man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn with dirt on his head. And when he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching for his heart trembled for the ark of God. When the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, what is this uproar? And then the man hurried and came and told Eli. Now, Eli was 80, was 98 years old and his eyes were set so that he couldn't see. What I believe that means is he had cataracts. So he was blind. He just, he couldn't see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And Eli said to him, how did it go, my son? And the man said to Eli, um, Israel has fled before the Philistines. There has also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons, Hopni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. And as soon as the man mentioned that the ark of God had been captured, Eli fell over backwards from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For he was old and fat. 
And his judge, he had judged Israel for 40 years. Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant. She was about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured, that her father-in-law was dead, that her husband was dead, she bowed and she gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women attending her said, Don't be afraid, for you've born a son. But she didn't answer or pay attention. She named the, boy, the child Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. She named that child Ichabod because the glory had departed from Israel. The ark of God had been captured and her father-in-law and her husband had died. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. And she died. Fun story. Yay. Go to bed now, children. The one thing that struck me in all of this was they recognized their need for God's help. The Israelites did. They recognized that they needed God's power, God's strength for them to defeat their foe. And they reached out for God's power and God's strength. In the only way that they knew how. Because in their mind, in their perception, all they could do was go to God. They didn't have an understanding of the transcendent God that could, or the, the imminent God that could be always present with us as we understand God now. Because we have the promise of, that Jesus gave that, that the Holy Spirit of God will come down to all believers after his resurrection. But back then, they didn't have that understanding of God. They didn't have a relationship with God in that way. They would have to go to God. So what they said was, bring God to us. And what does that mean for them? That meant bring the, the Ark of the Covenant, because that's where you meet with God. And for whatever reason, the priest said, sure, let's do that. And then literally, it fell apart. Everything, everything was lost. The high priesthood was killed. The high priest was killed. His sons were killed. The ark was lost. And in the, in the eyes of the, of the Israelites, the glory of God has departed from, from us. And I will tell you guys that I don't want to use any names because we're being recorded here, but I want to tell you that when I had a meeting with a member of this congregation who let me know that God was leading them away. And when I looked at our finances over the last month and a half, I was like, Lord, have I sinned? Is there something in my life that is displeasing? Have I done anything that would cause the blessing of God to be removed? Because I don't understand what's happening. I'm not saying I don't trust you. I'm saying I fully trust you. I have no choice but to trust you. The outcome is going to be your perfect will. I understand that. But God, have I done anything? Is there anything in my life that needs to be taken care of? Look at the, the story of David and Bathsheba and the baby and the prophet Nathan. And you know that story. And the, not, the prophet declared that the child would die. And, and David got on his face before God and fasted. And ultimately the baby died. And then David wrote Psalm 51. God, look at the sin in my life and renew me, cleanse me, bring me back to righteousness. 
Because he had walked a path that was not godly. So it was natural in my mind to think, oh God, have I done something? Is there something? Have we done something? What's going on? What is your thought? What is your plan? And God, in his perfect timing, brings this to me that I have to preach on this week. And I'm like, I'm at district assembly. I don't have time to study. And literally throughout the week, I was listening to the passages and God was bringing thoughts to me and I was just writing stuff down. So this is the journey that God brought me on over this last week. As God just gave me snippets of little passages of scripture, stories out of scripture that I wrote down the quick notes to and then been meditating on over the week and feel like God has a word. This is a word from God through me to you. Now, take it for what it's worth. Okay. If it isn't for you, don't own it. If it is for you, get on your face before God. I will tell you that quite honestly, there are times when I have come across people in my life who I'm about to talk about or who are like what I'm about to talk about. I want to slap them upside the head. Because they cry, they cry, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. But then they live like this. And I'm like, but that's none of you. I'm not talking about any of you. I'm just talking about other people that I know. So first of all, go with me to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus has finished his ministry. He is just about to ascend into heaven. He is just about to leave his disciples on the 40th day following his um, his uh, resurrection. And he says to his people, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. The last words of Jesus to his disciples before he leaves them was, Tarry in Jerusalem, wait until you are endued with power from on high, the Holy Spirit. Now, he had already prepped it back in John, saying that if I don't go, the Spirit won't come. That the Spirit is coming from the Father. That the Spirit will only speak to you the things from the Father. That the Spirit is doing this to empower you to serve in the way that God wants you to live. So it's God is going to come and live with you. It's this all this stuff. You know these things if you've been around the church for any length of time. So Jesus' words are, tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. The Holy Spirit of God will come and you will receive power for a specific purpose. So you can live the life that I'm calling you to live. So that you can do the things I've asked you to do. So that you can, the power is not for you to go, oh, I can walk on water. No, the power is for you to follow the, the path that God has for you. Now, fast forward in the book of Acts to Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 25. Philip, the evangelist, has been dispersed out of Jerusalem when there's the, the, the dispersion that takes place earlier in Acts chapter 6 and 7. And Philip goes up into Samaria. And while he's in Samaria, God starts using him to bring about really cool things. God is blessing and God is pouring out power through the Holy Spirit, through Philip, the evangelist. And verse 9 says, there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in that city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And all the people paid attention to him. 
from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed the gospel. And after being baptized, Simon continued to follow Philip. He was basically being discipled by Philip. And seeing the signs and the great miracles that Philip performed, Simon the magician was amazed. Now, when the apostles heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to Samaria Peter and John. Peter and John came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For none of them had yet received the Holy Spirit. They'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when they had laid hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered the apostles money saying, Give me this power so that I, anyone on whom I lay my hands can receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, when they had testified and spoke the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to Mary, to many villages of the Samaritans. Now, those were harsh words spoken to Simon, the magician. Here was a man who was a baby Christian. He was trying to do what was honoring to God. But he crossed the line. He thought he could buy God. He thought he could pay his own money and get God to give him power so that he could use it. And he was chastised for it. Now, I would submit his heart intent was probably that he was, he was thinking, this is really cool. I want to, I don't know that he was doing it out of a selfish motive necessarily, but the fact that he thought he could buy or manipulate God with his own wealth and his own money says that there's a problem in his heart and he got chastised for it. And it was a harsh teaching that he had to endure. And see, so often we don't want to hurt feelings and we don't want to, you know, you don't want to turn them away from God. They're brand new. Let them, let them learn. Well, sometimes you need to chew on it a little bit and say, no, no. What did Jesus say when Peter said, um, you can't be crucified. You can't be crucified. Jesus turned to Peter and went, get behind me, Satan. What? Those harsh words, Jesus. But it needed to be said. It was appropriate for the moment and in the time. And the same thing here. I believe that the apostles, under the leading of the Holy Spirit and through the influence and power of the Holy Spirit, squelched what was trying to come about. Now, move down a little bit. Go to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 17. Now, this is talking about Paul 
and what Paul is doing in his ministry and how the power of God is being shown through Paul. So verse 11 says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were being carried away to those who were sick and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, before we go there, let's stop there. Paul, a man of God, is ministering, I believe it was in Ephesus at this time. If you go back to the beginning, yeah, 19 verse 1, he was in Ephesus. And he's being used of God to do powerful, mighty things, and God is doing miracles by his hands. And literally, literally, if a cloth touched his skin, you could carry the cloth to the person that was sick and they would be made well. There was an apron that he was wearing. They could take it and the person could be healed of their diseases. They could take it to a demoniac and the demons were cast out by a cloth. Ooh, that sounds so Pentecostal. (laughs) But don't we come to the front of the church and anoint someone who is representing the one that's needing healing because they're in the hospital or they're across the country. And so we're praying for them and asking God to... Isn't that the same as this handkerchief apron thing? I think. So I don't think it's mumbo-jumbo. I don't think it's juju. I think it's real. I think God uses it. Now, I've never personally seen it happen. I mean, I've seen this happen where you pray for somebody who's in absentia. You, you know, pray for somebody who's not here. But I've never seen it happen where you carry the cloth and you bring it and you lay it on them and they get better. I've never, that, I'm not saying that God can't do that. It says right here it happened. But what we do need to see is what's following. Okay, so go back now to verse 13. Some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Then they give an example. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. So these were Jewish exorcists. These weren't Christians. And they were going, I adjure you by the name of Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And what happened? The evil spirit, verse 15, the evil spirit answered them. Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was, in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastering all seven of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell on them all in the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Imagine this. These exorcists who are not in right relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ are trying to invoke the name of Jesus Christ to do spiritual battle against demons and literally they get trashed. Seven of them get beaten up and they have to flee out of the house naked because the one guy with the demon is beating the daylights out of them. And I love, I love the way it's worded. I know who Jesus is. I have heard of Paul, but who are you? (laughs) Now, turn to 2 Timothy. 
2 Timothy chapter 3. Now see, God was doing this all week for me, taking me through all of these things. It was like my own personal Bible study. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Now, it goes on about other stuff, but did you hear that last, that last verse? All of these people aren't worldly people. These are people who have an appearance of godliness. Who would have an appearance of godliness? The people that put on their suits and pantyhose and go to church every Sunday. See, I excluded the Two Rivers folk because none of us wear suits and ties or pantyhose at church. (laughs) But the people who appear godly are the ones who were named as being lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy. Having an appearance of godliness, but denying the power of godliness. Avoid those people. What was the difference between the Apostle Paul, who you could lay a handkerchief on and bring the handkerchief to a sick person or to a demoniac and have them healed and cured, and seven exorcists? who were trying to exorcise demons in the name of Jesus. What was the difference? Motivation. Motivation. I'm sorry? The Holy Spirit. I would submit to you it's it's as simple as relationship. Intimacy with the Almighty. If you go to Acts chapter 17, which is two Chapters before that sons of Sceva thing. So go back to Acts chapter 17. Paul, it says, has gone to the city of Athens. And he's waiting um, for some friends to join him. So while he's going through through Athens... He's seeing all of this godlessness. I mean, the city was filled with temples and altars all over the place. It literally says at one point that there was an altar that was inscribed to the unknown God. In other words, we're going we're to worship anything and everything just to make sure we cover all our bases. And it says that Paul was brought to the Areopagus 
to speak his philosophy, his theology. And I was reading one of the one of the commentators uh, that I was reading said that it's almost that he got in trouble because in Athens at that time, it was um, it was illegal to bring in false teaching or false theology, which is interesting because they worshiped everything. But literally, he it's possible some scholars think that this Areopagus was actually almost like a tribunal that was going to be adjudicating Paul and his theology. And if he was found wanting and found guilty, that he could have been condemned. I can't go that far because I don't have that kind of knowledge. I'm just telling you, this is what some scholars that I read said. Regardless of what and how and why, was it simply just a group of philosophers wanting to hear another philosophy? Or was it truly somebody scrutinizing because and Paul was, was defending himself? I don't know. But what Paul did was, Paul used their own language, their own culture, their own stuff to bring Christ to them. He said, I've been walking around your beautiful city here and I notice you guys worship every God known to creation. And I even saw an altar to an unknown God. Well, let me tell you, tell me, I know the one that you weren't able, you don't know. I know him intimately and I'm going to tell you all about him so that you no longer have to have an unknown God that you can actually worship one that you know. And then he begins to use their own philosophers and their own poets words in his sermon. That's literally what he did. He took stuff out of their own culture, things that they were familiar with, and brought them into his teaching on the gospel. So if you look at verse uh, 28 in Acts chapter 17, 28, he says two different phrases. He said, for in him we live and move and have our being. That's a quote, a direct quote from one of the Greek philosophers. Then the other one is, for we are indeed his offspring. That is actually quoted in a couple places and different, different things. But he was literally taking things from their own culture to teach them about God. But look at that word. In him we live and move and have our being. This was Greek philosophy that Paul was using to help them come to understand what it means to have an intimate and vital relationship with the one true creator God who gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life who then died on a cross, was resurrected on the third day, is now ascended to the Father, is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and the Holy Spirit of God has come down and is present with each one of us, empowering us to live the life that we are called to live until such time that the Holy Spirit of God, I mean, that the Father turns to the Son and says, go and bring my children home, and then we will all go to be with the Father in the air. That's our theology, folks. There you go. But he used this powerful phrase that was not only out of their culture, but God-inspired Luke to include it in the in the book of Acts so that it now becomes scripture for us. In him we live and move and have our very being. So I ask you again, what was the difference between Paul and the seven sons of Sceva? Both removing demons, both trying to do things for God. What was the difference? Paul lived and moved and found his very being in the one true God submitted to him. He submitted himself to God through the blood of Christ. Remember the, the Acts chapter 9 story? Paul was a, a, a zealous man trying to fight against this false teaching because he was a true Israelite. 
And God intersected him on the road to Damascus and said, You've got it wrong, man. You've got it wrong. And Paul submitted himself to the truth of the gospel. And then God empowered him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul became one of the most prolific writers of the New Testament. And formed most of your theology. Because he lived and moved and found his being in the one true God, Jesus. That's what it means to have the power of God in your life. You cannot pull God out like a talisman or an amulet. Wearing a cross does not protect you from evil. Putting crosses up in your home doesn't keep the vampires and zombies away. It is a vital, intimate, faith-filled, deeply to the core of your being relationship with God. That's what it means to have the power of God. And I would submit to you, even though you don't wear stockings or jackets and ties, that there's possibly some in this room right now who treat God more like a talisman than the true God that he's supposed to be treated like. When you're in trouble, you pull out the Bible. When someone's sick, you ask for prayer, but that's the only time you think to ask for prayer. When your world is crashing, you start coming back to church again because you haven't for years, but all of a sudden now you come back to church because I have no place else to go. Hmm. I would submit to you that if you treat God like that, you're going to find that the Ark of the Covenant gets taken and that thousands die on the battlefield and the blessing of God is not there. You cannot treat God like that. He's God. I would submit to you that giving him $500 because that's a good amount of money to help donate to the cause isn't going to win him over either. See, it's a matter of being on your face before him regularly, reading his word, talking to him, hearing from him, learning to discern his voice, being empowered by him because you have him as the core of your being. That's what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to live and move and have our being in him. And so I would submit to you that you need to spend some time. First of all, the very first question is, Lord, examine me. Is there any wickedness in me? Psalm 51. Pray Psalm 51, if nothing else. Lord, is there anything in me that is not right, that needs to be corrected? Make me know it so I can make it right. God, then at this point, I submit myself to you. I have confessed and repented of any sin I've known. I have, I have turned my life to you. I am declaring you the Lord and God of my life. And I ask you, God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you fill me and make me to be the person you want me to be? There's nothing that I'm holding back. Nothing. It's all yours. Everything is yours, God. I just need you and you alone. 
And I would submit that if you would truly, 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 truly do that, you would begin to see people getting healed. You would begin to see powerful things happening because God is working through you. Now, I'm not saying that you could take an apron, put it on, and then take it over to the hospital and cure cancer. I'm not saying that. If God allows that, woohoo! But I am saying there is power available and you have access to it 24-7. But it's not the power you should be seeking. It's the God who gives the power. And then God will choose how, when, and if to grant that to you. If he never does, you still say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, these aren't fun words. This isn't a fun story. This isn't lighthearted. But this is, this is real. This is where the rubber meets the road. Because if we call ourselves Christian, if we name Christ as our Savior, then that means we should be living this way. Help us, God. Help us. Empower us through your Holy Spirit. Walk with us. Go before us. Convict us. Let us honor you with our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our teenagers have not arrived. That's okay. Evelyn, I mean, uh, uh, Elsie's going to read for us, so we're good.